Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. M-S-W Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, June 16th, 2023. Today, convicted felon Bernard Carrick pitched Mark Meadows on a five to eight million dollar plan to overturn the 2020 election. Former Air National Guardsman Jack Teixeira has been formally charged by the Department of Justice. Daniel Penny has been indicted in the subway chokehold killing of Jordan Neely. Westchester DA Mimi Rocha has closed her investigation into Donald Trump's property valuation. And Donald Trump dined and dashed from his cafe campaign stop after his arraignment. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hi, everybody. Happy Friday. Later today, At 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, we're going to have our super mega indictment happy hour for Daily Beans, Jack, and Cleanup on Aisle 45 patrons. Again, that's tonight, Friday night, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Pete Strzok will be dropping in. Andy McCabe will be making an appearance so we can discuss and have a cocktail or a mocktail. You can ask us questions. It's going to be super great. If you're not a patron and you want to become one, that's patreon.com slash MullerSheWrote or patreon.com slash aisle45pod, A-I-S-L-E-4-5-P-O-D. 
Dana will be back next week, so I'm going to read you the news today. We have a lot of it to get to, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, first up, breaking news from Hunter Walker and Josh Kavensky at Talking Points Memo. Bernie Carrick, Bernard Carrick, had a plan to keep former President Trump in office after losing the 2020 election, and he knew how much it would cost, roughly. Per an email surfaced in a defamation lawsuit brought against Rudy Giuliani by Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman, Carrick wrote to then White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows in a December 28th, 2020 email that he would need between 5 to $8 million to put a plan into action that would pressure state legislators into throwing their electors behind Trump. It was one feature of a broader effort to co-op state legislatures into a scheme that would have seen them try to send slates of fake electors to D.C. on January 6th. A strategic communications plan, quote, attached to Carrick's email indicated he would need millions of dollars to work alongside Rudy to pressure state lawmakers into cooperating. Carrick is a longtime Giuliani confidant who served as commissioner of the New York City Police Department during Rudy's mayorality. Thanks to a recommendation from Rudy, he went on to serve at the, as the interim interior minister of Iraq during the country's occupation by U.S. forces. In 2010, Carrick went to prison after pleading guilty to a slew of charges, including tax fraud and making false statements to the White House in conjunction with his vetting for federal posts. Carrick was pardoned by Trump in 2020. The message with Carrick's multi-million dollar ask and strategic plan emerged in a defamation lawsuit that Giuliani faces brought by two Georgia poll workers, again, like I said, Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman. Giuliani spent months in late 2020 and early 2021 claiming that the mother-daughter pair were caught on video unloading ballots from a suitcase at an arena in Fulton County, Georgia, while saying falsely that one of the two had a criminal record. The allegations against Moss and Freeman and Trump's claims that Georgia was stolen were shown repeatedly to be baseless. This new email is further indication of how the efforts to overturn the election were intertwined with requests for cash and the eye-popping sums that were involved. Carrick pestered Meadows for money on Giuliani's behalf more than once in late 2020 as they worked to help Trump build his myth of a stolen election and attempt to reverse his loss. And a December 1, 2020 text to Meadows that Talking Points Memo obtained and published last year Carrick told Meadows that he was, quote, airborne on the way to Michigan from Arizona. Quote, we're going to need a hotel for the team and two vehicles to pick us up. Christina Bob, who was our coordinator back in D.C., does not have a credit card or authorization for these logistics. I reached out to Mike Glasner, who apparently is no longer on payroll. Can you, I have some money, <laughs> coordinate with Christina to handle? Thank you, sir, unquote. Now, weeks later, on December 28th, Carrick popped up again, this time via the message that surfaced in the defamation lawsuit last year, which was sent to Meadows' White House email address. Just send it right to the White House. In that missive, Carrick told Meadows that Giuliani had sent a message the night before telling the Trump chief of staff that we need to pull the trigger today to have the impact that's needed in the states that we're targeting. He also made clear his needs were growing beyond hotels and cars and that launching the effort would cost money. Quote, we're estimating it's going to run between five to eight million dollars, he wrote, adding, with all due respect, we don't want the campaign comms people involved. We need to get this done, done right and done now. Carrick added that only specific pressure in targeted areas would work. Quote, there's only one thing that's going to move the needle and force legislators to do what they're constitutionally obligated to do, and that is apply pressure. Seems like if you're going to do what you're constitutionally obligated to do, you shouldn't have to be pressured into it. Now, Carrick, at the time, 
used his personal Twitter account to post fragments of his strategy memo to the public. In a deposition in the Freeman lawsuit, Giuliani alternatingly confirmed and denied his support for the plan to pitch the White House. He told attorneys that I let them do it and that he was also opposed to it. It's not clear how receptive Meadows was to Carrick's request for funding. Weeks later, the Post reported that Trump had told aides not to pay Giuliani for legal fees and not to reimburse him for expenses he incurred while traveling the country to pressure state legislators into reversing Trump's loss. Giuliani reportedly wanted $20,000 per day for that work. However, even though Giuliani and Carrick might not have secured all the funds they hoped to receive for their services, there are indications Meadows was working with them after receiving Carrick's email. According to texts from Mark Meadows' phone obtained by Talking Points Memo, then-Senator David Perdue, a Republican from Georgia, texted Meadows the day after Carrick sent his strategy to Meadows about a call he was trying to set up between state legislature leaders and Rudy. Quote, I just want to make sure I'm doing what you and the president want. We also have a joint statement ready as well. Thanks. That's what Purdue added. It's not clear if that was part of Carrick's plan. An attorney for Meadows didn't return Talking Points Memo's request for comment. Carrick initially agreed to an interview about the matter, but then declined to comment. Timothy Parlatore, who is Bernie Carrick's attorney, told TPM he doesn't really have time to waste on that case. My goodness. Parlatore. All right, next up from Jacob Shamsian at Insider, the Westchester County District Attorney's Office has ended the criminal investigation into the Trump Organization without bringing any charges. District Attorney Mimi Roca closed the investigation earlier in June. Elliot Jacobson, a special prosecutor hired by Roca, departed the office in late 2022. He found that the evidence collected in the investigation couldn't support criminal charges regarding conduct outside the statute of limitations or, and this is important, because it overlapped with investigations underway by other law enforcement officials. That's according to the source. Much of the material came under the jurisdiction of New York Attorney General's office. The district attorney's office can pursue only criminal cases, while the attorney general has the power to bring civil suits. And we know New York Attorney General Letitia James brought a blockbuster civil lawsuit against the Trump Organization in September, which is scheduled to go to trial this October, although she did tell Pod Save America it would be adjourned pending the outcome of the criminal Department of Justice documents indictment by the special counsel. The district attorney's office in Westchester, a county north of New York City, opened the investigation two years ago. It examined whether the former guy's family business illegally misled authorities about the value of the Trump National Golf Club Westchester to pay lower property taxes. For years leading up to the criminal investigation, the village of Ossining had been entangled in civil litigation with the club over the property's true value and appropriate tax bill. In 2021, the office subpoenaed financial records from the golf course. In the years since, public information about the investigation has been scant. According to a person familiar, the investigation's scope eventually expanded into Donald Trump's personal conduct in determining the golf club's evaluation. Roca's office butted against other investigations into the Trump org. The Manhattan DA's office had been looking at the company's finances for even longer, even going to the Supreme Court twice to obtain tax records. Manhattan prosecutors brought criminal charges against the company and CFO Weisselberg in the summer of 2021, alleging they falsified tax payroll and tax records. And they won at trial. So you can stop saying alleging. <laughs> in April, the district attorney brought another set of charges against Trump himself alleging he broke the law by hiding the hush money payments, falsifying business records. Alan Fuderfoss, an attorney representing the Trump Organization, declined to comment on the closure of the Westchester County probe. In September, New York Attorney General's office brought a sprawling 222-page lawsuit against Donald, the Trump Organization, and his three eldest children. 
alleging they broke tax, bank, and insurance laws by illegally manipulating property values. Trump's golf course was singled out in the lawsuit as one property that allegedly fudged its numbers with deceptive strategies. And here's a quote. At Mr. Trump's golf course in Westchester, the valuation for 2011 assumed new members would pay an initiation fee of nearly $200,000 for each of the 67 unsold memberships, even though many new members in that year paid no initiation fee at all. The lawsuit alleged that, you know, that's a problem. You can't do that. You can't assume $200,000 for 67 unsold memberships when there were people paying no fees. Quote, in some instances, Trump specifically directed club employees to reduce or eliminate initiation fees to boost membership numbers. Hmm. Okay. The inflated valuations helped bring Trump's net worth, which allowed him to obtain more favorable insurance and bank loan rates. And that's according to the lawsuit that that 200 grand for 67 that brought up his net worth. Right. That's all what this is all about. And uh, the lawsuit also claimed the Trump organization misrepresented the property value of Seven Springs Estates. You know, I've been talking about Seven Springs forever. It is also in Westchester County. And the declination to prosecute only mentions the Westchester Club. It doesn't mention Seven Springs Estates. I don't know if that means that Westchester DA is still looking into Seven Springs Estates or if they're including anything that happened in Westchester County. There's just no charges, seemingly because other law enforcement agencies are looking into it. We know New York Attorney General Tish James is, and we know that Alvin Bragg looked into something similar with the Trump organization, but didn't cover the valuation stuff. He only covered tax fraud, you know, the the gifts and the tuition, and they didn't pay taxes on those, and it should have been considered income. What we don't know is if anybody else is looking into this, like, oh, Department of Justice, the IRS, they should be if they're not, but we haven't heard anything. This goes on to say, because the Manhattan DA and the New York Attorney General offices were investigating the Trump org, Westchester County prosecutors had a difficult time obtaining records for their own investigation and had to be concerned about the possibility of bringing duplicative legal claims. In the spring, Westchester County prosecutors visited the office of the state attorney general, which doesn't have the power to bring criminal cases, to review documents it obtained. It subsequently closed the investigation after deciding new criminal charges weren't warranted. And again, that could be because other people are looking into this shit. I still think there's going to be an indictment somewhere for Westchester, especially Seven Springs Estates. And from Glenn Thrush at the Times, a federal grand jury on Thursday indicted Air National Guardsman Jack Teixeira, who posted dozens of secret intelligence reports and other sensitive documents on a gaming server. They charged him with six counts of retaining and transmitting classified national defense information. And if you're wondering why Teixeira is being held in prison pending trial and Donald Trump is not, Donald Trump was not charged with dissemination or transmittal of classified information. He was only charged with 793E, retention of national defense information. Now, Teixeira also had like an arsenal and was shooting at targets using racial slurs and anti-Semitic terms. And he has a history of saying that he's going to kill people and have assassination vehicles. So he's also a physical threat to the public. The filing of criminal charges against Teixeira comes two months after FBI agents arrested him at his home in North Dighton, which is in Massachusetts, on April 13th. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Mr. Teixeira has remained in federal custody after prosecutors presented evidence he had a history of making violent and racist threats, had access to an arsenal of weapons, and represented a risk of sharing sensitive information with foreign countries. 
Quote, the unauthorized removal, retention and transmission of classified information jeopardizes our nation's security. That's Josh Levy, the acting U.S. attorney for Massachusetts. Quote, individuals granted access to classified materials have a fundamental duty to safeguard the information for the safety of the United States, our active service members, its citizens and its allies. We are committed to ensuring that those entrusted with sensitive national security information adhere to the law. Teixeira's lawyer did not immediately respond to requests for comment. Before his arrest, Air Force officials caught Airman Teixeira taking notes and conducting deep dive searches for classified materials months before he was charged with leaking the vast trove of government secrets, but did not remove him from his job. That's according to previous filings in the case. And from Bromwich, also at the Times, a grand jury Wednesday voted to indict the Marine veteran who was arrested last month after killing a homeless man, murdering him on a subway car in a case that created a political firestorm in New York. Don't know why we have to throw in that he's a Marine veteran. I don't like the, the sometimes the way they write these things. The manslaughter case against the veteran. Again, they say it again. You know what? I'm going to start this story over without all of the nice things to say about this murderous asshole. This is from Bromwich at the Times. A grand jury on Wednesday voted to indict a man who was arrested last month after killing, murdering a homeless man on a subway car in a case that created a political firestorm in New York and beyond. The manslaughter case against him, Daniel Penny, was brought by the Manhattan DA's office, which had charged him in the death of the man, Jordan Neely, but needed, because they keep saying homeless man and veteran, like, fuck, dude. I'm sorry, this shit just pisses me off. But they needed the grand jury's approval to proceed with the case. On Thursday, a spokesman for the district attorney's office confirmed that Mr. Penny had been indicted and that he would be arraigned in state Supreme Court on June 28th, where he will enter a plea. A lawyer for Penny could not be immediately reached for comment on Thursday. The DA's office initially charged Penny with manslaughter in the second degree. It wasn't immediately clear whether the grand jury voted to indict him on any other charge. Penny had been expected to testify before the grand jury, but it's unclear whether he did so. In a video interview shared with multiple outlets, he said that Mr. Neely had been threatening to kill and saying that he himself was ready to die. Yeah, okay, well... You're indicted, motherfucker. And lastly, after former President Donald Trump was arraigned on Tuesday in Miami, Florida, for refusing to turn over classified documents, he went to a Cuban cafe in Little Havana to greet a crowd happy to see him. They prayed for him. The crowd was probably happier when Trump told them, food for everybody. Now, although most people would consider yelling food for everybody is a tacit promise that the person yelling those three words is going to take care of the bill, there's a difference between promising to pay for something and actually doing it. And yes, Trump is notorious for stiffing people, which is why he's reportedly had problems finding lawyers to defend him in all of his current legal woes. So forgive the Miami New Times for being skeptical that Trump lived up to the promise and indeed treated his cult followers to what he described as a spread of croquetas, pastelitos, and cubanos chased with cafecitos, unquote. The publication reached out to what it described as a knowledgeable source who assured the publication that Trump's stop at the Cuban restaurant was only about 10 minutes tops, so there was no time for anyone to order anything, much less get the bill to Trump. But ha ha ha. I have so many friends in this service industry that know these assholes. Round for everybody. Drinks on me. Food's on me. And then they fucking ghost. What a piece of shit. All right, everybody. We need some good news. After all that, after all that, we need some good news. If you have good news, you can send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. We'll be right back with it. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. June 24th marks the one-year anniversary of the end of Roe. 
and the Feminist Buzzkills podcast is doing a special episode looking back on the year with amazing guests who are navigating the fallout. Frontline abortion provider Amy Hagstrom-Miller explains the realities of scrambling to close clinics while opening new ones in safe states and shares the emotional strain that it takes on patients and staff. Allison Kaufman, executive director of Amplified Georgia Collective, joins the show to talk about the importance of coalition building to restore and expand abortion access. Plus, comedian and dope queen Phoebe Robinson rounds it out with some hilarity and radical self-care tips. Shit's not awesome, but Liz and Moji always drop facts, actions, and jokes. This special episode drops June 23rd. Listen wherever you do your potting. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, what the mu- what the heck wine, shout out to a small business in your area, shout out to an adoptable pet in your area if you can't pay pod pet tax, shout out to a loved one. Like tell us how awesome your spouse or your kids or your partner or your best friend is. I love those. It's really uplifting. You got a good whoopee story or a blankie story? I want to hear about it. If you got frog orgy pictures, baby pictures, whatever it is, send it into us. Your happy place, I want to see it. You can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. First up, a correction. Juneteenth is June 19th. Dana said June 13th. I'll let her know. Next up from Kristen, pronoun she and her, confession. Allison, you and Dana are a delight. I always rewind and re-listen to the funny bits that get you two laughing. I have to admit that I chuckled at Allison's struggle with the doggy name Peanut, <laughs> spelled Panute. How silly of you, Allison, I thought to myself. And then last night's podcast dropped, and I literally read Netroots Nation to myself as Natroots. <laughs> And I literally thought to myself, what the fuck is Natrute? Here's another picture of my dog, Lily, 11-year-old mini Aussie. And views of the Klamath Basin looking south from southern Oregon. Oh, that's beautiful. Hi, mini Aussie. Hi, baby. Hi, Lily. Thank you for sending that in. Yeah, Kristen, uh, Panute is still uh, top of mind. But Natrutes is pretty great. All right, next up from Kristen. She, her. This is not the same Kristen with the confession, by the way. Hello, AG and DG. You're always the first pod I listen to every day. And I love getting the news from you. And I am so often touched to tears by the submissions of your listeners. I chuckle at the pet nicknames and wanted to share a few of ours, courtesy of my hubby and 10-year-old son. My son's rabbit is named Chungus, Big Chungus, or Sir Poops-a-Lot. Oh, love it. One of our dogs is Audie. We rescued her when our son was three. Her name was Elsie, but he automatically combined her name with Doggy, so it's Audie. With his little three-year-old speech, it came out Audie. He also calls her the Sausage, because she's short and oddly long and wide. Feel free to guess her breed, but I don't have any true answers. Her adoption papers say a mix, but I don't see it. Oh, dot, dot, dot. Okay, we're we're pulling out the, the mix here to put it under the picture. Yes, thank you. We haven't DNA tested her yet. Finally, our son also named the sweet orange female cat Freddy. We adopted her from the shelter in 2018. She quickly proved herself to be very quirky and mischievous. My hubby started calling her Freddy Fartnickel. Google that if you like, but I warn you that my husband is 51 going on 16. Our family was devastated when we lost sweet Freddy three weeks ago. Um, I'm so sorry. She was the cat that is more like a dog. Our son could do anything with her and she always wanted more. Freddy slept with him every night. The first few nights were the hardest for him. Audie did step up and is now sleeping in Freddie's place on the bed. I'm thankful we had those five years with Freddie, but the hole she leaves behind is immeasurable. 
We all love having our pets, but losing them is so hard. They're with us for such a short time. Thank you for letting me write about them. Also, thank you, ladies, for all you do, keeping me informed and often making me laugh during this wild time we are living in. Look at this family. Okay, Chungus is huge. Uh, that looks like a that doggy looks like a Audie looks like a like a like a corgi German Shepherd mix. <laughs> so cute. Uh, and Freddie. All right, let's see what they thought Audie was. It says Beagle mix. Uh, maybe maybe a Beagle corgi, but there's got to be corgi in there, right? Oh, and by the way, this kid's hair is fantastic. So well done. Look what you made. Next up, Jen, pronouns she and her. Are you a real Gen Xer? If you don't know like nine Jens. <laughs> so true. Hello, I've slowly been increasing my AG intake at Muller She Wrote on Twitter, the Jack podcast, and now, as of a week and a half ago, the Daily Beans for my daily commute. I want to say I was delighted to discover that as a 48-year-old woman raised in the suburbs, I feel like I'm your target audience. <laughs> I get every joke, every pop culture reference, every quote, and exactly why you were so excited to have They Might Be Giants do your music. I found them because a very cool kid in my junior year ceramics class played Flood nonstop. Such a good record. I do think the opening music sounds a bit like They Might Be Giants and Elliot Smith. Rest in peace. By the way, Elliot Smith, Jen, figure eight, one of the best records. Anyway, so pleased to have found you and to find so much in common. God, you probably died when Ben Folds was on the show. My pet tax is two-part. My current love, Jessica Fletcher Cat, who came to me as a little old lady after my most recent love, Mrs. Landingham Hedgehog, passed away. Shown here as a wee spiky potato. Oh, hello. Hello, Jessica Fletcher Cat. Oh, it's a hedgehog. It's a spiky potato. So adorable. Thank you for that. I'm so, yes, my target audience. You get every single, I mean, if you listen to the old Muller She Wrote podcast, that was full, chock full of pop culture references. I would pull them right out of the movies and stick them in there. So anyway, I'm glad that you're enjoying it. Thank you so much for that. Next up, Quinn, pronouns he and him. Hi, ladies of the beans. I'm writing to tell you much how I appreciate the pod. I especially look forward to the good news and ending the pod with a smile, however rough the news day is. I often listen while walking our English cream golden retriever, Tuna, who I've included as pod pet tax. He carries himself with this wonderful juxtaposition of disheveled majesticness. Oh, I love that turn of phrase. Juxtaposition of disheveled majesticness. Nice consonants. His happiness is contagious, and I'm grateful to have him as a friend. Speaking of dog breeds, y'all had me laughing uncontrollably at the Husker Doodle, what the mutt, a few days back. It reminded me of one of my dad jokes, which is on theme. Uh, we all know a mix, a golden retriever and a poodle is called a golden doodle. I'm just glad they don't call it a poo retriever. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you both for all that you do. What a beautiful dog. That is a majestic fucking dog. Look at that dog. Oh, I want to pet. I want to pet the dog and the hedgehog. Oh, so great. And Jessica Fletcher Cat and Freddie and Audie and Chungus. I love all these pets. And of course, you know, of course, Lily. So thank you, everybody, for sending these in. Sorry, I was just scrolling through all the pictures again, <laughs> reminiscing of just like five seconds ago. If you have any good news you want to send to us, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Guys, today, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern. It is the super mega huge cocktail mocktail, ask us anything indictment celebration. We've been waiting 
so long for this. And like I said, it's, it's okay to celebrate justice. It's not a sad day for me. And of course, Pete Strzok's going to come in, Andy McCabe. So if you have any questions for them, get them ready. It's going to be about an hour to an hour and a half long. I'm really looking forward to it. If you're not a patron, you can become one. Uh, Patreon.com slash MullerSheWrote or Patreon.com slash Cleanup on L45 Pod. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Don't miss Jack on Sunday. We're going to have former general counsel of the CIA, Brian Greer, and we're going to ask him a bunch of SIPA questions and like Section 7 and that whole thing about being able to immediately expedite appeals to the 11th Circuit and what that covers and what it doesn't cover because it's limited. It's not just for anything. And all of those quote, what's the silent witness? You know, we're going we're gonna to have a really, really important discussion so that we can all understand what to expect in the upcoming trial for this particular case. More to come, I, I assume, uh, I believe. I've always believed. And thank you all for standing by me <laughs> when the going got tough. Um, it was hard to keep the faith that whole time. It really was, especially with my personal history, as you know, waiting for justice is kind of something I've done my whole life. So thank you all for being there. We'll see you tonight at the happy hour. We'll see you Sunday on Jack. We'll see you Monday back on the beans. Till then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. 
you will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.